Exploring the Word is brought to you by Reclaiming America for Christ and the Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond, Oklahoma. You know, Jesus made the comment that when the Son of Man returns, will he even find faith in all the earth? This is Pastor Paul Blair. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Exploring the Word. Today, a message will be presented that was preached by my dear friend and co-pastor, Dan Fisher, on a subject that's been often debated and talked about that comes from Paul's second letter to the church of Thessalonica. And the subject is that falling away. I hope that you enjoy this message as we present it in two parts, entitled, The Great Falling Away. We welcome you to the radio ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We invite you to join with us for today's Exploring the Word. I, uh, over the years, have had this affliction. And the affliction is, I believe that the Bible applies to everything. Everything. Now, that appears to be an affliction today because there are a lot of people who don't seem to believe that. And so over the years, it has gotten me into a great deal of trouble, controversy. Because, see, I've always believed that's what, that what is going on in the culture needs to have a biblical response from the pulpit and from the church. In fact, I believe that the church not responding to what's going on in the culture has actually caused people to become confused about what God does say about what is going on in the culture. Now, I realize that our preaching and our teaching cannot be primarily response-based. I mean, ultimately, we've got to preach precept upon precept, block upon block, brick upon brick. I get that. But there are times when things happen that we just must respond to as believers and know what God says about those things. Now, I've always believed that. Here's what I also believe. I believe that pastors and churches that do not respond to certain things, either intentionally or unintentionally, send the message to their people that either God doesn't even deal with that, so it doesn't matter, or what's going on must be okay, or my pastor would say otherwise. Now, that may seem to be a little bit over the top, But I have watched that play out over the last few years. I have watched people and heard people actually say, well, my pastor never deals with that. Actually using that as a defense for not having a strong opinion about something that the Bible is incredibly clear about. Now, the reason why I'm saying all of this is because there have been times, and I made kind of a joke of it last week, because it really did happen. It was kind of funny when the guy got up and walked out yelling heresy all the way to the back door. But there are times over the years where I've had people get up and walk out during a message. Now, I know that sometimes that's because folks have something that they have to attend and they just have to go. And I get that. And I understand that. I never want to falsely judge anyone. But if last week someone walked out on us, or if this week or some other week somebody walks out on us, I want you to know ahead of time that I apologize for that. Uh, that. That bothers me a great deal. I mean, I would think that regardless of what somebody is saying, if you're in a gathering, you at least sit there and hear them out. But sometimes folks won't do that. 
And I know that that makes things a little uncomfortable for all of us. Now, I've walked out on lots of poll sermons, but I, I was just one of many. And so, I, well, I was asleep first and then Pam woke me up because I was snoring too loud. So I just walked out. But so I apologize when that happens. That is never my intent. I don't mean to be obnoxious about the truth. I don't mean to be uncaring or unfeeling. But I'm telling you, friends, the house is on fire all around us. And it is time to deal with very difficult, touchy subjects from a biblical perspective. I mean, I have no other perspective from which to view things. Outside of God's Word, I don't know what else to say to you about things that matter a great deal. And as things are happening in our country, there's a lot of confusion and mixed signals. Uh, Black Lives Matter issue and all the rioting and all that kind of stuff is often being used to make everybody look like if they don't agree that they're insensitive to whatever inequalities do exist. Guys, I readily admit to you that there are inequalities all across our culture. And there are great dark spots in our history. But I would also challenge you to find any other culture or country with the same dark spots that has worked as hard as we have to try to correct those. You just don't find it. So what is going on around us, I think, is so important that we understand what's really pushing it. For instance, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter admitted just a few days ago that she is actually a trained Marxist. She actually admitted that publicly. And you say, well, I mean, you know, everybody has a right to their own opinions. Well, that's correct. And I would fight for her right, for her opinion, and to even be able to say it publicly. But do you understand how counter-biblical Marxism is? We've been sold the idea that socialism is somehow wonderful and yet no one can find anywhere on earth where it has worked well. And socialism is nothing more than soft communism that never stops at soft communism and always proceeds to hard communism. Now, a lot of people try to point to the book of Acts and say, well, the early church practiced with communism. No, they didn't. Everything they did was voluntary. No one had to... Uh, contribute all of their belongings to the church. They only did that if they chose to. And by the way, even though it was voluntary, it didn't work so well and they stopped doing it. But in most churches, you will never hear a pastor get in the pulpit and talk about the evils of socialism slash communism because they don't think that's spiritual. Well, just look at any country that has been overrun by Marxism, communism, socialism, fascism, whatever you want to call it, and tell me that there aren't spiritual implications to that. There are terrible implications. Or people like this, Sean King, who is another Black Lives Matter activist who is known for making numerous outlandish claims, who has called for the destruction of Jesus Christ statues and Christian churches for the depiction of the white holy family, which he argues are forms of white supremacy and racist propaganda that promote oppression. Now, this is what we're up against. Now, there's going to be a method to my madness here in just a moment. But understand that the church being silent about these isms and these ideas actually, I believe, fuels 
the opportunity for them to continue to undermine and destroy our culture. Because make no make a mistake about it, if you go on the Black Lives Matter website, you will find that they're against all of the critical issues that the Bible is for, that God is for. They're against, for instance, the nuclear family and want to destroy it. They're against capitalism, even though Jesus not only taught, but applauded capitalism throughout the New Testament. Of course, you go in the Old Testament, you find the same thing. Now, here's the problem. When Christian leaders go soft on these issues, they either intentionally or unintentionally send terrible messages. For instance, this is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, J.D. Greer. I've referred to him before. He recently endorsed the Black Lives Matter movement as a gospel issue to members of the world's largest Baptist denomination, but denounced the Black Lives Matter organization that sparked the movement in 2013. Now, do you think that matters that he added that little uh, disclaimer there? No, it doesn't matter. All people heard is he's endorsing the Black Lives Matter. Now, if he means that everybody matters, he's right. The Bible clearly teaches that. It doesn't matter whether you're black or Caucasian or red or yellow or you've been on the ocean too long and you're green. I mean, it doesn't matter what color you are. Everybody matters. So understand that the Black Lives Matter is not about black lives mattering because if it really mattered, they'd be decrying all the blacks that are murdered every weekend in Chicago. They would be decrying the fact that a large majority of their preborn black community are murdered before they're ever given a chance to live through abortion. If black lives really mattered to them, that's what they would be screaming about. Unfortunately, unfortunately, it's guys like this. I don't know his motives. But he sends these, these weak, mixed messages. Listen to what he says. I think saying bold things like defund the police. Now, notice the, the, the adjectives he uses is unhelpful and deeply disrespectful. Well, he's right. It's completely unhelpful, and it is disrespectful. But let me tell you what it really is. It's ridiculous and wrong and stupid. That's what it is. And yet... He uses these words to many public servants who bravely put themselves in harm's way. But I know that we need to take a deep look at our police systems and structures and ask what we're missing. Where are we missing the mark? Now, of course, he's saying this because of the terrible murder of George Floyd. But no one has yet, because there's not been a trial, we don't know. It could be. But from what we know, it doesn't seem to be the case. No one has been able to prove that that was done because of any kind of white supremacist attitudes. It's probably done by a cop that was out of control who already had 18 official complaints about him that the Minneapolis City Council and Chief of Police should have dealt with months or years ago. But see, guys like Greer just naturally assume that this all has a racist foundation. Then he said that the gospel message and church unity matter more than political divisions over President Donald Trump. So he's got to throw Trump in there somehow. He said, we must agree and proclaim the sanctity of life, the importance of religious liberty, the danger of things like the erosion of that and identity politics. Well, I'd agree with him. We do need to cry out 
for the sanctity of life. Both those who are toward the end of life and, of course, those who are at the beginning. But then notice what he goes on to say. And we also agree to repudiate our president's lamentable statements, the tone that he sets, lament his lack of leadership in what we feel are important areas. So, in other words, is he implying that the other option is better? That we should actually support someone like Joe Biden and the people who are pulling the strings behind the scenes on him who will do everything they can do to destroy the sanctity of life. They will do everything that they can do to destroy religious liberty and they will practice identity politics. Do you see the danger in how people like this talk? He isn't coming right out and saying you shouldn't support Donald Trump. But if you listen to what he says, he's saying, look, this is not such a big deal. Really? This is not such a big deal. Just imagine what life would be like today if it had been President Hillary Clinton for the last four years. Now he goes on to say, but what that compels us to do at the ballot box is not a first order issue. And our unity in the body should not be dependent on uniformity in that choice. Okay, I agree with him. The most important thing is Christ, His kingdom, and whether or not people know Him. And when they die, they're going to go to heaven. I'll agree with that. But to say this is not some first order issue and we just need to not worry about it and not get all divided about it. Oh, really? Well, what about the world that your children and your grandchildren are going to live in if these leftists who've taken over the Democratic Party ultimately get in total power? Will that matter then? Of course it will. Now, the reason why I think all of this is important is because we're being overwhelmed with this tsunami that I've talked about periodically since I've been here on staff in this church. Here's the New York Post telling the story of Lincoln County in Oregon. Their health officials announced just a few days ago that all residents must wear face coverings when in public areas in which they are likely to come within six feet of another person who is not from their own household. Now, I understand if those folks who choose to wear those, there's nothing wrong with that, and I think we need to accept that. But to demand... That everybody, where where did you get that power? But then listen to what they said next. But people of color do not have to follow the new rule if they have heightened concerns about racial profiling and harassment over wearing the mask, officials said. So in other words, it's two sets of laws. If you're white and we catch you without a mask, we're going to probably write you a fine. And if you resist, we'll throw you in in the clinker. But now if you're a person of color and you say, well, I just don't, I don't feel right about it. Uh, I think this is profiling. Well, you're okay. See, that's what this kind of thinking ultimately leads to. And don't think that it's, 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 it's secluded to the northeast and the left coast. Because this is the owner of the semi-pro soccer team in Tulsa called the Athletics who just announced this week that they're going to replace the national anthem with the song, This Land is Your Land. Now, do you know who wrote This Land is Your Land? Woody Guthrie. Do you know what Woody Guthrie was? A communist. So not only are we going to replace the national anthem, which is bad enough, but we're going to replace it with a song popularized by a communist that has communist overtones in this land is your land, this land is my land, which is a, a, a shrouded attack on capitalism and private property ownership. 
That's right there in Tulsa. This week, Black Lives Matter and others said that we're going to probably have to get rid of Mary Poppins because it's racist. Do you hear why? Because there's certain scenes where they're dancing and singing with black on their faces. It's cold soot from being cleaning from having been cleaning chimneys. These people are idiots. But you see, this is what happens when the church stands by and doesn't address these issues and we don't talk about them. And the Minneapolis police, well, they're going to be no more. The city council this week in Minneapolis actually voted to abolish the police force in Minneapolis. They've been talking about it. They voted to do it. Now it's going to go to a vote of the people. And if the people are as stupid as their city council is, there will not be a police force in Minneapolis. How many of you would like to buy some property there in that town? This is, this is insane. So it brings me to this. All of this, forget about the political overtones. If you don't like my politics, that's fine. But all of this, I believe, is a sign that we may very well be living in a period of time that the Bible addresses called the great falling away. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, you're probably very familiar with this passage, so I'm going to have to move quickly today or I'll never get through what what I need to get through. You know that Paul is writing to the Christians at Thessalonica, and he says, Now, brothers, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, there's, there's two different events he's talking about here. Our gathering together to be with the Lord and the day of Christ. Those are not the same. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. We awfully call him the Antichrist, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with you, I told you these things? So Paul is addressing a church in the first century who thought that they had missed what we often call the rapture. And they're troubled over it because they received a letter forged with Paul's name to it. Now, by the way, that's why he closes this letter by saying, look, this is my own hand. That's why that's there at the end of that letter, by the way, if you never knew that. Because they'd been receiving letters. There were many letters going out in that day that had the apostles' names forged to them to add weight to these false letters to mislead the people of God. So he says, look, that letter was not from us because the letter was telling them that they had missed the rapture. They probably didn't call it the rapture, but they had missed the rapture and they were now getting ready to enter into the period of time that we all refer to as the Great Tribulation and ultimately the outpouring of God's wrath on the planet. And they're obviously troubled by this. A preacher by the name of uh, Stephen Bites or Beats wrote an article entitled, Has the Great Falling Away from the Faith Begun? He says in it, generally speaking, the entire West, Europe, the American continent, Australia, and parts of Asia and Africa has been characterized by a certain fear of God since its Christianization and into the mid-20th century. Legislation, moral values, and the understanding of what a good life should look like were shaped by the standards in God's Word. Of course, that does not mean that all people believed or kept it, but sinfulness was not usually considered a virtue. 
This attitude changed drastically, he says, beginning in the 1960s. The sexual and feminist revolution made fornication and infidelity something worth striving for, an expression of supposed authenticity and true love. The deliberate rejection of Christian thought exploded. On the one hand, more and more people turned to Eastern and demonic religions in their search for meaning. And on the other hand, the theory of evolution increasingly received the status of religious dogma. The decline in ethical reasoning has developed far-reaching consequences in the moral behavior of many. Drug use grew out of control. Open Satanism became cool with the threadbare justification we don't really believe in the devil. All of this perverted so-called Christianity as never before. He's right. Now, I don't know prophetically where we are. And I've always made it a rule not to try to set dates and make predictions because every time we do, we're wrong. Jesus said, no man knows the hour of the day. We all, we've been through that before. So I'm always very careful when I deal with subjects like this. But I also know that the Bible does teach that there will be what I call the terminal generation. The people who are alive when everything begins to totally come unwound. And Paul calls this the falling away. It's literally in the Greek, the apostasia. Now, some people interpret this as the departure, and they believe it's referring to the rapture. I don't. I believe it's referring to something in Scripture where the people of God begin to turn away from the very principles that make us who we are, and therefore culture begins to reflect our weakened positions. So I'm going to talk about that today, and I want to focus here on when he talks about the day of Christ. Now, the day of Christ, without going into deep theological discussion here, is a period of time when God is going to pour out his wrath on planet earth and the wicked. The Old Testament is filled with references. I'm not going to read all these to you, but listen to some of this verbiage. Jeremiah 46.10, for this is the day of the Lord Lord God of hosts, a day of vengeance that he may avenge himself on his adversaries. Doesn't sound like a very fun time for me. Joel 2.11, For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Joel 2.31, The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. Amos says, It's not the day of the Lord darkness. Malachi says, The coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Zephaniah, the noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. Even in the Revelation, when this day occurs, John records that those who are alive that are wicked are going to cry out, for the great day of His wrath is come, and who is able to stand? Jesus, in chapters 24 and 25, as recorded in the book of Matthew, goes into great detail about this period of time, far more than we have time to go into today. So in referring to this day of Christ, Paul, in a previous letter to the Christians at Thessalonica, the first letter, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 2, he says, For you yourselves know perfectly the day of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. In other words, you're never going to be able to predict it. Don't even try. Ignore those who do. Even if they're sincere, they're wrong. But he warns us that it's going to just jump upon us like a thief does. No announcement. It's just going to be here. 
But he also reminds the Christians that they're not to be looking for that. That's not what they're to be focused on. He says, you're to be waiting for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In chapter 5, verse 9, he says, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you read about this gathering together to him of the believers, Paul often uses very distinct pronouns. He'll use we, us, our, those who are dead in Christ. Obviously referring to believers. Now a few weeks ago, I talked about the rapture of the church. Not a new subject to you. Paul's preached on it many times over the years. But I believe the Bible does teach that there will come a moment when God will evacuate the church off of planet earth. Not because we're too good to suffer. Not because we're just too weak and too squeamish. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with God's dispensational plan for planet earth. Now, there are some who believe that things are just going to get better and better in the world as the church conquers sin and sets up the kingdom. I've even had well-meaning Christians say, Dan, do you actually believe the church is going to fail in its mission? No, a thousand times no. The church has been given the job to take the good news to the entire world and to find those who are willing to submit to the Lordship of Christ, bring them into the kingdom, and I believe we will completely succeed at that mission. But I do not find in Scripture what it is the mission of the church to set up the kingdom of God. In fact, it's not even our mission to grow the church. If you listen to what Jesus says to Peter... He says, Peter, I'm going to build my church on this rock. What rock? Well, that you're the Christ. Notice he says, I will build my church. He doesn't tell Peter. Now, Peter, go out there and use motivational speech and be a really good marketer and market the gospel and build my church. He says, I will build my church. Now, friend, let me tell you something. If it's Jesus who is building the church, I promise you it is also Jesus who will set up his kingdom, not me, not us, and not the church. It will be the Christ of the church who establishes his kingdom on this earth. Now, we play a vital role in it, and I don't mean to underplay that at all. But the Bible does not teach that things are just going to get better and better and better until practically we've set up the kingdom and all Jesus has to do is just come and sit down on the throne. We've got it all ready for him. In fact, Jesus asked a question recorded in Luke 18.8. Now, this is a silly question if the dominionists who believe that it's just going to get better and better and better and better and better until finally all wickedness is put away by our own efforts. This is a silly question to ask. Because he asked the question, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? We hope that you enjoyed today's edition of Exploring the Word, and we look forward to being with you next time as we complete this message entitled, The Great Falling Away. Until then, may God bless you. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond. We hope that today's journey in God's Word has been a blessing to you. You can find more sermons and resources at our church's website, www.fairviewbaptistedmond.org. 
or call 405-348-1745. Join us again each weekday for Exploring the Word from Fairview Baptist Church in Edmond.